Have you finished your personal statement yet? Now's the perfect time to get it professionally reviewed by a medical school HQ expert advisor. We have former directors of admissions, admissions officers, and the like on our small team of amazing people. They have the inside knowledge from reading thousands and thousands and thousands, tens, if not 100,000 personal statements going through the process and setting up the process for their whole committee. They know exactly what medical schools look for and the common red flags that can get your entire application thrown out. Take advantage of our flash sale right now, going through May 6th, up to 6,000 characters reviewed for just $150. That's a $75 discount on our regular price. Go to editmyps.com. Again, that's editmyps.com. If you're applying to medical school in 2022 to start medical school in 2023, join me Wednesday or Thursday, Wednesday night at 9.30 p.m. Eastern, or Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern at premedworkshop.com. Go register today. I'm going to show you how to tell your story in your application. Again, that's premedworkshop.com. If you are applying to medical school in 2022, be there or be square. The original episode that I had posted for episode 255 was pulled and taken down after it was made known to me that some of the things that we had talked about might not have been 100% truthful. So I pulled that episode. What you are about to hear is a great discussion, a great Q&A that I had with an undergraduate university during a pre-health week. I had the opportunity to uh, talk to the students and answer some questions, and you will hear that here. So no music today. Uh, just going straight into the Q&A. The sound is going to be a little bit different because I was using a different microphone talking to them uh, into a camera through Skype, but hopefully the information is still just as great. My name's Ryan. <laughs> um, I grew up in Redondo Beach, uh, not too far away from you guys. After the riots back in 92, 93, whenever they were, uh, my family said, okay, time to leave. And we went over to Florida, which is where you get my, my gator helmet there. I went to the University of Florida for undergrad. I majored in exercise physiology. I knew going into college that I wanted to be a physician. <clears throat> in high school, I thought I was going to be a physical therapist. That's what uh, I was interested in. And then I dissected a cat. And I'm like, oh, I'm hooked. I'm going to be a surgeon. Just like you guys. Um and so I went to college and uh, applied for medical school right out of the gate and didn't get in. And um, found out what I was missing, what I was doing wrong, and reapplied a couple of years later after I fixed those issues and got in, went to New York Medical College for my medical training. And um I did an HPSP scholarship, was a which is a military scholarship, and uh, I wanted to be an orthopod. That's why I went to to college. That's why I went to <clears throat> to medical school to be an orthopod. But going to school on a military scholarship means that they can control what you do or don't do, uh, and so the military said, "Nope, we don't want you to be an orthopedic surgeon. You're going to be a flight surgeon." Which sounds really cool, right? Operating on an airplane and cutting people open on an airplane, but that's not at all what a flight surgeon is or does. A uh, flight surgeon is basically like a family practice doctor for pilots and for other people that are on the planes, working on the planes. 
but you treat them in a normal clinic on the ground. So really cool name, but it was a really awesome job, and I liked it a lot. Um, I stayed in five years. I owed four. I, I stayed in five. I thought I was going to make a career of it, um, but some health issues kind of uh, sidelined me there. And in the process, I had started what is now the medical school headquarters back in 2012, and the goal of that was to just give real information to, to you guys, to pre-meds, um, information that wasn't based just on my story, on my journey, uh, but information talking to deans of admissions, talking to deans of medical schools, um, <clears throat> talking to a lot of different students and hearing their stories. And so that's what I've been doing now. Uh, for the last two years, full time, uh, five years all, all together with several podcasts, the pre-med years uh, being my biggest one. I, I'm, I'm interested. Have any of you heard of the podcast at all? The pre-med years? No. 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 Okay, perfect. Have any of you heard of a podcast? Yeah. <laughs> all right. Good. We're, we're, we're getting there. Um, so I, I, I hope to have four new listeners after this. Um <laughs> So that's what I do now. So I talk to interesting people. I had a an episode. I, I release all my episodes on Wednesdays. And this week, I, I do four episodes every week. The pre-med years was an interview with a first-year uh, medical student who goes to the Caribbean, uh, to Ross. And I talked about her journey, um, which was long and drawn out. She's from Southern California as well. Um, on... What my newest podcast called Specialty Stories, I interviewed a pediatric neurosurgeon about pediatric neurosurgery, what he likes about his job, what he doesn't like about his job, what it takes to get there. If students are interested in it, what should they be doing? <clears throat> um, Old Pre-Meds is a, another podcast that I do for non-traditional pre-med students, somebody who's maybe changing careers or didn't do well initially in college. Um, and then I do the MCAT podcast as well. Do you guys know what the MCAT is? Yeah. Yes. Yes. They just You're, had a. Oh, sorry. They just had a pre-advising session where yeah. pre-health advisors talk thoroughly about the MCAT, and nice. you know, yeah. it's entire. Yeah. So, yeah. so that's way above and beyond where I was. I don't think I found out about the MCAT until the end of my my sophomore year, beginning of my junior year. Like, oh, there's this big test you have to take. <laughs> oh, that's okay. I'm a good student. I'll do well. But that's just not how it works, unfortunately. <laughs> it's a hard test. So I have a podcast all about the MCAT as well. Okay. Yeah, and I showed them your, your book. Hey, you know. nice book. <laughs> I, got, I got one of those too. <laughs> Great. Oh, wow. so, 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 yeah, um, I don't know, you know, were there main were there big obstacles in your own journey that, you know, you wish you would have known your freshman or sophomore year um, that would have made it easier for you to pursue medical school? Uh, the biggest obstacle for me was not, it's not uncommon for students who go to large universities. How big is Whittier? Uh, 1,500 students. So it's small, yeah. right? And how, yeah. how many, do you know roughly how many are pre-med? Half a small percentage, I would say. Yeah. Probably like 10% maybe. Okay. Is it a liberal arts school? Is Whittier liberal yes. arts? Yeah. Okay. So I went to University of Florida, one of the, I think it's the third largest state school in the country. And the, the percentage of students who come in saying they're pre-med are in the thousands. 
right? Mm-hmm. And so the attention that I was able to get from my pre-med advisor was about that big. And if you can't see how big it is, that's because it wasn't big at all. Mm-hmm. Um, my advisor told me not to apply to medical school because of my, my uh, sex and race. Because I was a white male, uh, she said, don't apply to medical school, you won't get in. Uh, and so I didn't really utilize her for pre-med advising. And unfortunately, it's the same story over and over and over again for students who go to large, larger uh, undergraduate institutions. The, the pre-med advisor just overwhelmed with how many students come in. Um, and so I basically navigated the, the, the process by myself with a small group of other pre-med friends. This was back in 98 to 2002. So right at the beginning of kind of the internet age, right? Mm-hmm. So we didn't have Google back then. We, we had AOL Instant Messenger, which is dying soon, unfortunately. Um, that was big news. It kind of hurt me a little bit because I grew up on that. Um, but nowadays, you guys have access to so much information. I mean, just from me alone, I, I'm just one person in this world. And f- based on what I've put out, I have a book that uh, Genevieve just showed you. I have over 400 podcast episodes between four um, four different podcasts. I do almost daily Facebook live streams. So there's so much information out there. The problem now is that there's too much information that is wrong. And so it's your job to go and find the best resources that resonate with you based on the message that you want to hear. I preach collaboration, not competition. There's another huge website out there that's basically all competition and students are are battling each other all day long based on whose resume is bigger and better. Um, so you just need to find what fits um, you. And understand um, that as a freshman, you guys are freshmen, that you have a lot of time. Your goal right now is to learn how to be a student, learn how to be a college student. It's very different than being a high school student. You're kind of out on your own now. You're, you're given the class syllabus and your, your hand isn't held the whole time. I don't know what it's like at a small liberal arts school, but... At a, at a big campus, it wasn't like that. You you show up for class if you want to. You show up your, for tests if you want to um, and hope you do well. Um, and so your goal right now is to focus on that. Everything else that you hear that you need to do, the MCAT, shadowing, all these extracurriculars and leadership experiences and clinical experiences, all that stuff can come later. Focus on being a student right now. I think that's that's the biggest take-home message, especially for you guys being freshmen. Very good advice there, Ryan. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> um, so do you guys have any questions for um, I do. You just you kind of mentioned that you did the Army program. Is that uh, what Air Force. Yeah. Air, so Air it's HPSP, Health Profession Scholarship Program. Mm-hmm. The Army, Navy, and Air Force all offer it. Okay. And how does that work? Can you kind of give us like how that whole program works? Like how, um, cause I've kind of heard that you get to pick where you go, but at the same time they pick where you go. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So 
Once you sign on the dotted line to be a member of the military, they own you. <laughs> 100% they own you. Uh, and so you have to be okay with that. You need to be flexible. Uh, you can kind of give your input as to where you want to go and what you want to do, but it's ultimately up to their specific needs. So I wanted to be an orthopedic surgeon. The Air Force every year has only a handful of spots for people that want to be orthopedic surgeons. Every year they get together and they say, okay, five years down the line, because that's how long orthopedic surgery residency is, five years down the line, how many orthopedic surgeons are we going to need? And that's how they pick how many orthopods they want to allow. They can't tell me, or they, they can't tell you, okay, we don't want you, I know you want to be an orthopedic surgeon, you can't do that. You're going to go be an OBGYN. They can't, they can't force you to go do something that you don't want to do, but they have um, what's called a general medical officer. So every graduating medical student, me medicine is very strange. When you graduate medicine, you can't practice medicine. When you graduate law school, you can practice law, but you can't practice medicine after graduating medical school. You need postgraduate training. Medical school teaches you how to think, how to be a doctor. Residency is what actually teaches you how to be a doctor. In the U.S., in most states, to be able to practice, you need at least one postgraduate year, typically referred to as your internship. And so I went after I graduated medical school, I did my internship year and reapplied for orthopedics. And again, the Air Force said, nope, nope, we, you're going to be a flight surgeon. And so I went and I went and did my um, aerospace medicine stuff. Um, so for me, if I want to go out and practice now, which I, I don't, uh, I actually gave up my medical license uh, back in March, which is kind of scary. Um, if I want to go out and practice... I would either have to move to a state that allows somebody to practice with just one year of postgraduate training or go back and do a full residency. So there's, there's some nuances there um, with the military that you just, you need to know. And if you shoot me an email, Genevieve has my, um, has my email address. If you shoot me an email, I actually have a, a quick auto response that I send to people that different podcasts I've been on that people who have interviewed me. Uh, I've interviewed the dean of the military medical school. I've interviewed uh, an ex-army dermatologist. I've written some articles about HPSP. So if you're interested, you're thinking about it, shoot me an email and I'll, I'll give you uh, links to those things. Um, I, even though the Air Force prevented me from from pursuing orthopedics, at least initially, um, I'm a huge advocate, uh, evangelist for uh, the HPSP program. Uh, but you have to do it because you want to serve. The, the money is a nice side effect, um, coming out debt-free, uh, but you have to be okay serving in the military. And the Navy, um, where do they usually station you with, with the Navy? Do they keep you in the States? There's, yeah, they, it's wherever they need you. So as, as, a, as a physician in the military, you can be anywhere throughout the world. You could be on a ship for six months. Mm -hmm. I also yeah. remember, because we, we, we have um, pre-health week this whole week. So yesterday we had a suture clinic 
mm-hmm. where um, they had a little bit of information and they taught us how to suture some pig feet. Yep. And they were saying how um, they have to be stationed. Who's, who's they? Is this the military that sponsored that? The US Army. Yeah, the yeah. Army, yeah. Okay, yeah, they usually sponsor those things. Okay, so what were they saying? They they said that once you're in medical school um, and you have to, like, pay back those years, it would you would probably have to be, like, re, I don't know how to say it, like, stationed somewhere else at least one time. So, yeah, usually, um, usually you would, once you're finished with your training, if, if you just do the minimum four years, expect to be stationed in at least two different places. Yeah. And if you're adventurous, it's great. You get to go, they, they pay for your moves and you get to go travel the world. I mean, being in, being in the Air Force, I would just jump on a plane. I was stationed in Dover, Delaware for two years and then right outside of Boston for three years. Uh, and, and another thing to think about, they don't really care about your circumstances, uh, the rest of your family. So I got married. My wife is a physician. Um, I met her in medical school. She was doing her residency training in Boston. So we, we graduate together. We've both moved to Boston to do our um, internship training our first year. And then she continued on in Boston to finish her residency in, in neurology. And I was moved down to Dover, Delaware. So the air force didn't care that my wife was under a contract to stay in Boston, to finish her training in Boston. They moved me where they needed me. So for the first two years of our marriage, we were separated. Um, in, in the military, there's a term for that. You're called a geo bachelor. Um, so it's, it's not uncommon to, to fall in love and get married and then move away from somebody because they can't move for whatever reason. Um, so it's something important to keep in mind, but, um, being stationed in Dover, Delaware, we had really big planes and we would fly all over the world. And so as a flight surgeon, I got to just say, talk, talk to my, uh, my colleague, whoever was uh, in the clinic with me said, Hey, uh, next month you, you go out of town for a week this month, I'm going to go out of town for a week. And I would go to Iraq and Afghanistan, Germany and Spain and Turkey and Bahrain and been all over flying places. And you just hang out with the air crew and do fun things. I miss putting on the uniform. Um, there's some things I don't miss, but I I miss that, that aspect of that. Any other questions? Uh, question I have is, uh, what's some advice? Like you mentioned, some things that weren't taught to you that you can teach to us, so we know uh, prehand on mm-hmm. what we're going into. Can you try to narrow that down a little bit more? I mean, um, I, I could talk for hours. <laughs> <laughs> um, maybe. I don't know how to explain it, like specific courses we should take or like some advice on like pre-health. Like shadowing? Like top 10 tips maybe? Yeah. (laughs) Top 10 tips. So so I I think for freshmen, speaking to you guys as freshmen, 
those concerns come later. I, again, going back to the the heart of my my message earlier, just learn how to be good college students right now. What you should be doing to make sure that this is the path that you want is go out and shadow. Too many students wait too long and they, they have this this picture of what a, a physician is, what a surgeon does, what an anesthesiologist does because they watch Grey's Anatomy <laughs> and they go, oh, that's what I want to do. Or a lot of students will put physicians up on a pedestal and go, oh, patients admire physicians. I want to I wanna be admired. Physicians make a lot of money. I want to make a lot of money. The job of physician uh, of a physician is not glamorous. <laughs> Patients uh, hardly ever <laughs> admire you a ton. Um, you don't make a ton of money. I mean, you you make good money as a physician, but there's a lot of things changing in this world. It's for for a student to go into it for financial purposes, when they come out and practice, maybe they're out in practice for 10 years. And then all of a sudden there's a huge change in reimbursements and how insurance works. And all of a sudden your pay is cut 50%. Are you then going to hate your job because you're not being paid what you came in expecting? Or are you in this profession because you want to help people <laughs> Because you want to treat people and take care of patients, which that part of the job will never change. Right? Until we are taken over by robots, we as physicians will always walk into an exam room and treat a patient one-on-one. -on -one. And so if that's why you're going into medicine, then that's perfect. If you're going in for other reasons, you should probably rethink what you want to do. And that's okay. It's okay. I'd rather you figure out that you don't want to be a doctor for whatever reason now than to get four years down the line, apply to medical medical school, start medical school, and then realize that you're miserable. Or start residency and then realize that you're miserable. So go out and find a physician to shadow. Find a PA to shadow. Find an NP to shadow. Find a podiatrist to shadow. Find these other... Um, allied healthcare fields to see what each one of them has to offer. I did an episode recently with a PA, uh, actually last week's pre-med years episode. I did one with a PA because she helps pre-PA students. I help pre-med students. And so the, the big question was, okay, what, is, what does pre-PA look like? What does pre-med look like? What does PA school look like? What does med school look like? What does being a PA look like? Uh, what does being a physician look like? So there are a lot of different uh, avenues out there. If it's the science and helping people, there are many different avenues out there besides becoming a physician. If you're worried about the length of training, if you're worried about how hard it is to get into medical school, so many things. But first and foremost, go out and shadow. Shadow as many people as you can find. It doesn't have to be 10 hours a week. It can just be a couple hours once a month just to... Um, Go out and experience firsthand what it's like in a doctor's office, what it's like in an emergency room, wherever you can find a, a physician to shadow. Make sure that you're doing this for the right reason. The other key benefit of shadowing is that it shows you 
it, it keeps at the forefront of your mind as you're sitting through biology, sitting through chemistry, sitting through physics and organic chemistry later on and biochemistry later on and MCAT prep even later on. It reminds you why you are suffering through those courses. Right? It keeps that, it keeps that end uh, top of mind so that when you sit down to study and all your friends are texting you and, and uh, DMing you on Instagram and sending you snaps and everything about their wild nights out. And you're like, I have to study again. Um, and that's okay. Delayed gratification is, is going to be huge on this journey for you guys. Um, aside from shadowing, did you partake in any research or any other experiences to help you get into medical school? Yeah, so shadowing actually was one of the things that I was missing in my application, why I didn't get in the first time. Okay. Uh, I thought volunteering in the hospital uh, was good enough. And when I volunteered in the hospital, I sat at the information desk and showed people where the elevators were. Um, so I had almost zero clinical experience. I didn't have any shadowing experience. Uh, and so that really hurt my application. I didn't understand all of those nuances because... I never went back to my pre-med advisor after she told me right. there was no chance I could get into medical school. Um, so yeah, I, I did have research. Um, I had a professor in my, my major uh, exercise physiology that was doing research with stroke patients. And so I did some research with him. I had another professor, again, exercise physiology was what I was majoring in. Um, I had another professor that was uh, studying um, the effects of different types of workouts on, uh, blood hormones, uh, on like, uh, testosterone and cortisol and other things. I didn't do any really strict bench research. Um, a lot of students will say, oh, you have to have research, but it's a bunch of hogwash. You don't need research. I always recommend going and finding some research just to see if you like it. I really liked the research that I did. Um, research doesn't have to be the normal boring pipette in a in a laboratory that you think about when you think about research, it can be going into a doctor's office, doing clinical research, interacting with patients, collecting data on patients. Um, there's, there's a lot of different ways to, to skin the cat there. Um, but besides research, that's really all I did. I mean, I, I did a lot of extracurriculars. Um, Habitat for Humanity was something I was really passionate about in college, uh, building houses, uh, it was something I actually did when I didn't get into medical school my first time. I was in Florida. I moved out to where I live now, uh, out here in Colorado, and I actually worked for my uncle remodeling houses. I was just, I wanted to be an orthopedic surgeon, right? I was like, oh, building houses is just like being an orthopedic surgeon. You just, it's houses <laughs> instead of bones. Um, so, yeah. Okay. What else? Was there um, anything else? Oh, yeah. Was there anything else you were involved in in college? Like, what other extracurriculars specifically? Besides, like, Habitat for Housing, did you do anything else? Probably. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I have a terrible memory for things like that. Right. I, I actually think, what's here? Background's so colorful. Yeah, I love your background, by the way. It's great. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. So this is if you if you come onto my Facebook page, this is where I, I do my Facebook lives every day. So I have my my application actually to medical school. So I did some uh, kind of big brotherish, big sisterish things with a, a local um, elementary school for some uh, at risk kids. Um, what else did I do? 
Habitat. I worked at the YMCA, uh, so I worked all throughout college. Um, I was a, a first-generation college student. Nobody else in my family was uh, a physician in healthcare or anything. Um, so I worked. Uh, I did a work study with one of the the places on campus, and then I worked at the YMCA as a camp counselor, supervisor person, and um, as a personal trainer uh, during med school. Since that was my um, major. Uh, what else did I do? Oh. Trying to look here. Apparently, I did have some shadowing on here. No, that was my other guy. Yeah, some research. That's about it. I didn't. I didn't have a lot. Um, I the the goal is not to fill out. So in in a, a regular application, you get about fifteen spots for research and activities and other things. Like you don't have to fill all of those things out. Go find quality things that you're really passionate about that are making an impact on people's lives, that are making an impact on your life. You don't have to go travel to a third world country to do medical missions. Uh, you can you can find impactful things to do right in your own neighborhood. Uh, do those. The, the things that you enjoy the most are the ones that you're going to keep on doing those are going to be the ones that you are the most passionate about writing about when it comes to writing your, filling out your application. Those are going to be the activities that you're most passionate about talking about when it comes to your interviews. So find those things that you're just passionate about. It doesn't specifically have to be healthcare related for the majority of things. Yes, you need to shadow some. You don't need thousands upon thousands of hours of shadowing. You need 50, 100, maybe at the most. Uh, clinical experience you need close enough to smell the patient. You need to be interacting with the patient. Um, I love hospice work for, for, uh, for clinical experience. It's, it's amazing work to do most that there are many people out there who are close to, to dying who don't have any family members, don't have any friends with them because their friends are probably all dead as well or are dying themselves and can't, can't be with each other and hospice work to, to connect with somebody like that, um, to be there for them, uh, as they transition out is, is huge and powerful and leaves a, a huge impact on you. It's great, great clinical experience. Being a scribe nowadays is amazing clinical experience. Do you know what scribing is? Yes. What is no. it, Caesar? Okay. Oh, Expl um, explain it. Yeah. I would say it's basically the work of, a. uh, a PA or physi uh, physician's assistant, uh, they do all the paperwork that the doctor doesn't do, basically. <laughs> <laughs> so you can be a scribe for a doctor to do all his paperwork. I I hope I'm glad I'm glad I'm not a physician assistant. Uh, um, so you are assisting the physician. You're not a physician assistant. So a physician assistant is seeing patients, is treating patients, is doing a lot of the same things the doctor's doing. And there are scribes for PAs as well. Um, a scribe is uh, somebody literal, right? A literal scribe who's writing down what you're saying. But in today's day and age, they're taking notes in the computer. So when the doctor is interacting with the patient and doing a history, doing a physical, the scribe is in the room watching everything that's going on and they're trained to interpret what's going on, to enter it into the the medical record. 
So that's what a scribe does. Great, great, great clinical experience. You learn how to be part of the healthcare team. You hear everything that's going on. You see everything that's going on. You get to hear the thought process of the physician. You get to ask questions, say, hey, I didn't quite understand this or what's going on here. Uh, it's, it's amazing clinical experience. And it's usually a paid job. Unfortunately, it's, it's not a high paid job. It's, it's usually a, um, minimum wage type job because they're, they're taking advantage of pre-med students because they know pre-med students want the job anyway. So they pay them as little as possible. Yeah. But good experience. Nonetheless, yeah. it, is, it is good experience. Yeah. Yes. Um, any last questions? Uh, one question I had is, um, say you go into the medical field and you have some options on your hand of what you want to do. How would you know uh, what has like your heart? Because for me, um, I want to be an anesthesiologist, but as well um, in mind, I have um, being OBGYN and a pediatrician as well. Yeah. Like, cause, um, <laughs> <laughs> with uh, with my uh, my pediatrician, I have a really close connection with her, and she went into uh, she became an OBG or yeah OBGYN, and um, after that, I became her patient when she became a, a pediatrician. Like she was doing both practices at the same time. Wow! So delivering and for those deliveries becoming her patients. So. Interesting. Um, cause it's not how it usually works. Um, so you're a freshman. Yes. You have lots of time to explore. And the truth is that most students that start medical school practice and go into something totally different than what they came in expecting. Once they start medical school and are exposed to everything, then they start to see what they really like and what they enjoy. Once for you, you, you love anesthesiology at this point, but start shadowing an anesthesiologist and see what their day-to-day -day life looks like. See what they're doing day in, day out, procedure to procedure. You may go, Oh, this is so, so boring. Uh, and you go and explore something totally different. So at this point in the game, specialty stories, the, the one podcast that I do where I talk to, anesthesiologists and OBGYNs and neurosurgeons um, listen to those things and hear what their jobs uh, are like, uh, hear what they like, hear what they don't like, hear why they went into those things. Um, and just, just keep an open mind as you're going through the process. Are there any other ways to pay for med school other than the army? Yeah. So there's, uh, so the, the military obviously is one. Uh, there's the National Health Service Corps, which is, uh, a, another scholarship program where you come out and you, you're dedicated to, um, serving in specific areas of the country. Uh, I think the Indian Health Services have scholarships as well. If you want to work on Indian reservations after medical school, uh, obviously there's scholarships just like any other scholarship. Uh, if you're a strong enough student, um, and, uh, you've, you've done well grade wise, you've done well in the MCAT, uh, and you apply and, uh, you say, Hey, I really want to come and you really want me, show me the money. 
right? Um, so schools schools do a lot of scholarships for students. Um, outside of those, it really financially, unfortunately, for minorities, I, I think this is one of the biggest issues with what we have in this country with um, minorities going into medicine. We have a huge underrepresentation of minorities in medicine. Most physicians look like me, right? They're, they're white males and, and white females. We have a lot of Asians. We have no shortage of Asians, no shortage of, of Indian doctors. But we need more African Americans. We need more Latino um, physicians. And unfortunately, the cost is what deters a lot of pre-meds. They, they look at that, oh, $150,000, $200,000 of debt, and they say, no, thank you. But in reality, it's, it's just a number on paper. You, you go to medical school, you sign on the dotted line, Uncle Sam gives you a bunch of money, and you go to medical school, and, and you get through medical school, you go through residency training, you, you make some money in residency training, and then you become a physician, and you pay back your loans. Um, there are very aggressive ways to pay back your loans in three, four, five years. There are more long-term ways to pay off your loans in 10 or 20 years. But the reality is that you'll pay back your loans. And you won't be eating ramen noodles the whole time. <laughs> so basically it's doable. It's completely doable. 100%. The, the financial aspects, while important, shouldn't dictate whether or not you become a physician or not. If this is what you want to do, then do it. And there's no scholarship. Uh-oh. I'm here. Hold on. Okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, and there's no scholarships um, for minorities such as Latinos that you know of? <laughs> uh, there, there may be. I don't know the specifics. There may be. I see it as, no, I see it as uh, a career where if you have the heart and mind to do it, you go for it and it'll pay itself off eventually. Say that again? Uh, no, I see this career as if you have the heart and mindset to do it, uh, the, the financially or the financial wise or the cost of attending uh, grad school or medical school will pay itself off eventually. It, it's worth it eventually. Yeah, there's, there's different programs to pay it off. They have things called income-based repayment. Uh, they have... Um, they they have loan forgiveness stuff where you go and serve in a, in the public sector for ten years and the rest of your loans will be forgiven uh, as long as you're making payments towards your loans. There's lots of programs out there to help physicians pay back their loans. At least at this point, where what it looks like in in four years when you start medical school or eight years when you're done with medical school could be completely different. But at this point. Uh, <laughs> Assuming the world's still here, um, well, it's it, if this is what you want to do, then you do it. You you don't regret in in twenty years. Like man, I I really wish I would have tried, but it, but I didn't want to be two hundred thousand dollars in debt. Right? It's just yeah. it's just a number on paper. That is true. That's true. That's true. Well, um, any closing remarks in the last few 
minutes before we, we sign off. Um, I know they're all freshmen. And, and so later, you know, as they're getting closer to applying, can they reach out to you for advice on interview prep and, and those sorts of things? Yeah, definitely. Um, if you need more books, I can, I can send you some more books to hand out to students. Um, uh, but obviously check out the podcast. Those are all free and easy to, to consume on your phone. Uh, but really just keep your head down, focus on the grades at this point, go out and shadow and, and find a mentor, a physician mentor that, that can help guide you on this journey. Ignore the naysayers. There are going to be plenty of physician, physicians out there who say, why, why the heck do you want to be a physician? It's miserable and we don't get paid any money and blah, 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 blah. Physicians, just like all humans, hate change. And so if you talk to a physician who's been out in practice for 30 years, that physician has seen a lot of change. And now there's more change coming because we have uh, a different um, a, a different group in the White House, right? And so they're trying to change things again. And it scares everybody and it makes them mad and, and they get paid less and there's more paperwork. And But they're, they're grumpy because... Things have changed. And so as long as you understand that things will always keep changing, but what happens behind that closed door with the patient won't change. And if that's why you're going into this, then you'll be good. All right. So there you have it again. We'll wrap up. That was a Q&A with a small liberal arts school in California. If you would like me to speak to your pre-med club or your uh, undergraduate school, biology club, whatever it is, just shoot me an email, ryan at medicalschoolhq.net.